Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to a special bonus episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. You'll get these every now and then. I'll put them in the middle of the week. And uh, this is kind of an addition to the weekend shows that I put out. But the bonus episodes allow me to talk about subject matter that I don't really have time or doesn't fit in the normal show or the normal schedule. And uh, I want to get as much information out there as possible for those who need it. And this episode is a unique one. Uh, I did have an episode like this a few years back with uh, my girlfriend, Asha. She is a childhood sexual abuse survivor and has become an advocate to help the prevention and the healing uh, through child sexual abuse. She's now running a project called the Fiona Project that allows her to help charities and and get uh, survivor resources out there into the world. And um, we're going to have a conversation today based on an email that I received just recently from someone who found out her adult daughter experienced childhood sexual abuse from the neighbor's child. So this was a child sexually abusing another child. It's not a comfortable topic for most people. If you've ever experienced anything like this yourself, or you know somebody that has, or you have children, I think it's an important topic to listen to. And if you do listen to this show with children, know that we'll keep it clean, but there will be adult words, adult content in this. And it is very benign, uh, but we do talk about things that your child may have questions about. So the age that you start talking to your children about um, warning signs and being careful around people and watching out for strangers and watching out for bad behavior, even from people that are kind and caring. It is something we discuss in this episode. Um, But if you're not ready to talk about this stuff with your children, it may not be wise to listen with them, but it's certainly wise to listen for them and for yourself. Uh, In my opinion, I think this is a really good episode. We, my girlfriend Asha and I had a conversation that I recorded for this episode so that we could reply to the email that was sent to not only give our opinions and suggestions for the person who wrote, but to talk about this in general because it's just so important to understand that your child can be around people that don't have the best intentions for them. And I even hate to say that. I don't want to put any worry or panic in you. I just think it's important to be informed, to be aware, to understand that even even when a situation looks very benign or even caring and loving, you just have to keep that radar on. I mean, these are your children. Or if you yourself experience this, again, this could be a, a particularly helpful episode for you. Uh, But if you do have children, then it's definitely an important episode. Uh, Even if you believe there's no way my child is ever going to be exposed to this, I I keep an eye on him or her 24-7. It's just important to understand that there are things 
that can happen that we wouldn't necessarily believe to be a dangerous situation for a child. And it's good to know this in the back of your mind so that just in case you have that little bit of doubt, you can take an extra step just to be sure that your child is safe. So again, this is for those who um, are dealing with any type of child sexual abuse, have had it in their past, or have children and haven't dealt with it, and hopefully never will. And if you just want information on this and learn what to look for and also just want our opinions on this, because Asha has been an advocate for quite a while now. So she knows a lot of the ins and outs and she's also had to heal herself. So she comes from that background. If that helps you understand her perception and her angle on this. So I hope you get a lot of value from this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And when we're done talking, I'll say goodbye. Talk to you in a bit. This episode's about child sexual abuse, and um, someone wrote to me and asked me a question about it, and I have my own thoughts on it, but I would rather bring in what I consider at least the expert in this house and in my general vicinity, the person who knows more about it than anyone because she runs a project called The Fiona Project, and uh, she's a child sexual abuse and healing advocate. So I want to introduce Asha. Thank you for joining me, Asha. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm going to read you this email. You have no idea what I'm about to read you. I probably should have let you prepare, but we're just going to do this. I just received this email and um, I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to try to take out any of the private information or at least confidential information so this person can stay anonymous. This person wrote, uh, I'm a recent listener of your podcast and I'm truly enjoying it. She says, I want your true, authentic, raw advice. Asha's very good at giving. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Authentic, raw advice. Um, She says, I promise to keep this short and leave all the BS drama to my therapist. (laughs) And she laughed. I'm a a woman in my 50s. I've been married for over 30 years. I have a son and a daughter. Uh, They're adults. I was molested by my mother's husband as a child. And I've had thousands of hours of therapy, read numerous self-help books, and try to live in the moment and not live in the past, or worse, as a victim. I would say I'm a blessed woman with many fortunes. About six years ago, my daughter told me she was molested when she was seven by our neighbor, who was 12. The worst part of this sick story is that my son, 11 at the time, was in the room and forced her to be there. She said it happened numerous times, and He would threaten her that he was going to tell everyone and embarrass her. To say the least, my world has been turned upside down. This is a nightmare for my daughter, myself, and my family. Of course, I live with guilt. You know, where was I when I did not know what was going on? I confronted my son, but him being narcissistic, he denied it all. My daughter is an amazing young woman, great daughter, incredibly good heart, uh, also has had a lot of therapy. The other day, she told me that she will never have children because her and I are cursed and that she wants to stop the cycle of sexual abuse. She's already, I can already see your face. You want to comment on that? I'm just about done. I told her to make sure that she tells her boyfriend before getting serious that uh, she doesn't want children. I also told her, don't let your past control you. If not, they win. In life, we need to take risks. 
She responded, what if I have an animal like the son you had, mom? So my heart breaks for her. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you. Forever grateful for your advice. So what are your first thoughts that come up? Just take a moment if you need it. I know you can't hear, but she's really affected right now. That's a lot. That's hard. Hmm. There's so much in that email. So much. Obviously, the woman writing, the mother, is very committed to her own healing. And that is the best thing that she can do for herself and for her family and her daughter and her son, too, actually. It seems like she's doing all the right things. She's saying all the right things. You know, you can't give your power away. You know, we do have choice and and things happen. I think it is not uncommon, particularly the cases that I know of, particularly of boys, uh, you know, to be participating. They've got all these hormones and they don't even understand the kind of damage that they're doing. Um, 12 years old, right? And for the sister, of course, she's going to feel like he was a monster. He was five years older than her and had power and authority over her in many ways, size, I'm sure, manipulation, um, but they were both kids. Mm. Uh, now, it's harder because he will not take responsibility for it and he denies the whole thing. There's a couple things that could be going on there. One, he may not even remember it because if it wasn't significant or important to him, it just might be a blip in his radar and he just didn't care. Or he does remember it and he doesn't care. Or he does remember it and he thinks about it all the time. But he's never going to say anything about it. There's just, there's so much unpacking that cannot be done without the participation of the writer's son. You have no idea what's going on in that person's mind, meaning the, the son, the offender in this case, in this email primarily. So... You know, everything that I've learned over many different paths, which is actually I've been in support rooms for family members of addicts and alcoholics, that is very relevant. The type of stuff you learn in there is very relevant to what you also need as life skills to be able to deal with abuse and to be able to deal with abuse, whether you're on the receiving end or another role connected to the person being abused. And what you can't do and live successfully and thrive and flourish is focus on what's wrong with the other person and what's bad about the other person and the abuser, the abuser, the abuser, the abuser, the abuser. Because that takes you out of your circle of power. It takes you out of your ability to respond and process and own what you can own about it which sounds kind of twisted and counterintuitive because it's like, I'm not going to own that. I was the victim. Somebody did this to me. But it's not about owning their actions and their behavior and, and their trespasses on you. It's about owning yourself and your innocence, your vulnerability and your power. All in one big, messy, beautiful healing event, right? So let's start with the mom. 
I can't remember exactly what she wrote, but she's having feelings about how did I not know, you know, mm. this happened to me and I wasn't there. Right. Okay. Clearly from everything that she's written, she is dedicated and committed to her healing process. She has been focused on that. And I can't tell you there are m how many people were victims, but their children become victims and they are completely unaware. Why? For the exact same reason nobody knows when it happens to us. We don't tell. Mm -hmm. We hide it. We are ashamed. We're embarrassed. We're manipulated. The brother even knew to say, I'm going to tell everyone and you're going to be embarrassed. That little girl was never going to tell. Mm -hmm. Not any time at that time, you know. So the mother is not a psychic wizard. She doesn't know what's happening. Yes, we don't probably have enough training in our lives and enough skill sets and, and teaching to understand what might be going on with our kids and when to ask questions. You know, kids are a complicated little bundle. They have all kinds of emotions. They have all kinds of reactions. They have moods. They have seasons of moods. So the best thing and the only thing that you can do, and I, I don't know what she did at that time, is to have the best possible relationship that you can have with your children and to be open with them and and talk to them at their level with whatever they're doing and if you're paying attention to them and, and you're asking them questions you know hey you're seeming out of sorts what's going on you okay but this isn't something that you can do in response to all of a sudden something is happening and now you're trying to pick something out of them or figure it out or whatever this has to be a long going process from the time that they're little, two years old, you know, just beginning to talk. There's so much work that we have not been taught as parents, as people to engage our children in the right language to use and talk about body parts and talk about sex. You know, eight is great. That's the age that we're supposed to talk to our kids about sex. I have a very good friend who knows me, my story, my program, and she even went to a class with me for my spiritual center to get certified for, you know, uh, darkness to light partners, you know, in prevention certification. And she says, I'm, I'm not talking to my kids about that at eight mm -hmm. because she can't reconcile it in her mind. She can't understand. But here's the thing. It's only taboo when we make it taboo. So that's the time when they're going to start seeing extra influences from outside. And it's time for us to start, you know, engaging them more. They already know, hopefully at that point, they already know the name of their body parts, the correct anatomical names. So they can speak intelligently with you if they need to share something. And hopefully we have become comfortable enough to make the conversation easy or funny or like with my son, you know, when we talk about this stuff, we would make jokes. He'd talk about, oh my goodness, you're not going to believe what we learned today in health class. And we'd laugh and we'd joke, but that made it possible to have a conversation with him on his level without making it scary or taboo or you know, something suppressed. And when you're 50 years old, as am I nearly, when I was growing up in a fundamentalist Christian family at that, they didn't talk about anything. You know, my, my mother, especially, I didn't even get help with my body functions when I was 11 or 12 or 13, whatever age I was. We did not have those conversations. 
that left it on me to pass it to my child. And guess what? I didn't even remember. So I wasn't able to prepare my son the way that I could have had I been educated. And I'm going to assume that this writer is in the same position. She's trying to deal with her own stuff. She's been working on it a long time. But unless you are somehow brought into a circle as an advocate and you get the right information that you know how to talk to the children, they don't have the tools. You don't have the tools. So you can only do the best you can and hopefully, you know, rectify it going forward by knowing more if you have grandchildren or being aware or if there are others that you're responsible for. From what I hear, there's nothing that this mother did wrong. And please, I hope she does not hold any guilt about this because she couldn't have known what she didn't know. She she had the situation and the tools to work with that were the best she could do, clearly. If she's working on herself, that means she's committed. That means she did the best she could. So now we deal with the blowback. Okay, now we know that this happened. And the daughter is going through something similar but different, you know, because it was a child as opposed to an adult. So now we have an even different kind of complicated scenario. Now we have two children. Children, both of them. The 12-year-old is a child too. Okay, first of all, where did the 12-year-old learn what was happening? You know, maybe it was from the, the neighbor's kid who's a bully. Maybe the neighbor's kid was being abused. How did the neighbor's kid know what he knew to get the um, boy to participate? There is a lot of extenuating circumstances that you can't know and a lot of potential damage, drama, hardship going on there. You, the, There's no way to know without having conversations with all these people and having people be really vulnerable and come yeah. forward. And is there benefit in that? I'm not sure. Everybody has their own process in their own time. And I, I hesitate to even say this because for the daughter, it will feel like it is against her. And when I say this, it is not against her in any way. She has her own stuff and her own feelings that she has to go through and how she views her brother is her choice. I mean, it is her choice and her emotions and stuff to work through. And if she never wants to forgive him, she doesn't have to. She just doesn't have to. The question is, how much of a toll does that take on her? And I'm not even advocating that she have a good relationship with him. I'm not advocating any of those things. This is her journey, her process, her choices. And the only thing she can assess, especially as an adult, is what is the weight of my feelings and my choices and the positions that I hold on my own personal life, right? So she's trying to make those choices. And it kind of breaks my heart. Sadly, she's come to the conclusion that her brother is a monster and it was not controllable by the parents or her and therefore she doesn't want to risk having a child who might be in that position also and being put in a position where that could happen. There's obviously a whole bunch of stuff wrapped around that. I do agree with the mom and it's more beneficial to determine what I want in life. Do I want to have a child or do I not want to have a child? Let's put that aside. Would I like to have a child or would I not like to have a child? Because I just don't want to have children. 
and then move from that position to make plans and get help and rectify and, and whatever you need to do because I can understand how it's probably heartbreaking for the mother to hear that said mm-hmm. and then the daughter going through her own stuff because she's lumped this experience in with something that's out of control and afraid to put anyone else ever in that position. And child abuse is not, even by brothers and whatnot, all across the gamut, the numbers are decreasing. People are becoming more educated. When you do talk to your kids from the time that they're starting to learn to talk and you're telling them, this is your penis, this is your vagina, you know, you don't call it your pocketbook or, you know, whatever your, your hoo-hoo, your hoo-hoo. That, right. that's, you don't do that. You just don't do that because you're not equipping them to have language where they can communicate with anybody else what's actually really going on in a stable and healthy way. You know, even using cutesy, fancy little terms is sending the message that you shouldn't really talk about this. Mm. It's not really, you know, it's it's taboo. It's it's whatever. Now, at that time, they may not completely get all that. But believe me, it adds up over time. Well, so, let me interject real quick because you were, um, well, she brought up that her daughter said, I don't want to have a monster like you did. And when we're children, we're not even mostly conscientious of our actions. And this is my own opinion from what I've learned. A child is really acting from a more primal instinct. It's really like an animal instinct. And also something you mentioned, which is where did this child learn how to do this stuff? And what works when you say, if you tell anyone, oh, you know, X, Y, Z, where did that child learn that? And again, with all sensitivity to the daughter and the mother in this case, would you have the same thought toward her brother, toward the neighbor, if you knew they were also abused? Not trying to take the responsibility away. There's a responsibility there. But at the same time, hurt people hurt people. Yes. Abuse people abuse people. I mean, they can. They don't always, but that's what happens. And does that reframe the situation a little bit. It doesn't take away the idea that this person was victimized. But as a child acting on what he's taught, what he learns, absorbing everything from his abuse and uh, everything that he's learning from his parents and his dad, his mom, all of that combines into behaving in a way that isn't fully realized as an adult yet. He's not cognizant. He's not organizing all of this new information coming at him. He's only been on the earth 11 or 12 years. What do you do with this data? And like you said, the hormones are raging, or at least they're starting to at that age in some people. Curiosity. And the curiosity is there. And of course, if they've ever masturbated, they know it feels good. So there's that reward system. Well, here's the thing. From the letter... And I don't know the truth. From the letter, it sounds like the sister said that the brother was present and forced her to be present. Now, in my mind, what that says is that something is terribly wrong with the friend. Something is wrong in that friend's life. And the brother was under the influence of the friend. And who knows? It could be wanting to be liked or not wanting to be the victim himself or we we don't know we're just making stuff up but 
there's obviously a power play that's trickle down effect going on here, right. right? And here's the dilemma. This is a very slippery slope. From my viewpoint, he's 12 years old. I have compassion on those kids because I know something is not right. You don't know about those things unless you know about those things. Now, by 12, they're learning in school. They've got who knows what's going on for peer pressure or whatnot else. I hate to even say it this way because I don't want it to be against the sister. Is he really a monster and his intention was to hurt her? Or was he just being a pushy little boy who's domineering and in this age and learning these things and with other people that were peer pressuring and they got together and they took it out on a little child because they don't even understand how many young people don't understand what they're doing is harming the other person. They don't actually see it as harmful. They see it as, oh, don't be such a wuss. This is this and this is that and this feels good or this is that and blah, blah, blah. And you should like this or whatever. Because like you said, it's just instinct. They haven't learned civility. They haven't learned social cues. They're out there in their own world to trying to survive for themselves. And you just can't know what's going on. Now, the reason why I hesitate when I say any of these things in support of the other two kids is because you cannot tell the sister that he is not a monster. The minute you say that, she is no longer supported. Mm -hmm. And this is a very difficult situation for the mother, although she hasn't addressed it. It sounds like maybe she's on good terms with the daughter because she's talking Mm -hmm. to her. So whatever she's done, she's done something remarkably right because this could have gone horribly wrong at a whole other level where the sister blames the mother and the sister is angry at the mother for not condemning the brother. You know, there's just all this stuff. I think you hit some words really importantly. Accountability, yes. And does that make them a monster? See, there's a difference in perspective between the mother and the daughter. And it's not because the mother doesn't want to support the daughter but it because she has a different perspective. This wasn't an 18-year-old who was abusing a child. It was a child abusing a child. And without the tools by any of them, the mother, the son, or the daughter, they were put in a very difficult situation that's just difficult to overcome and with any level of success besides cleaning up the pieces later. So summing all of this up, it sounds like the mother and the daughter are doing the best they can. The mother has to accept what the daughter is saying and support her in her feelings and also only support her in saying, if that's really the decision that you want to make, because that's what you really want is to not have children. That's different. You know, and I love what she said about There are always risks, whether it's the brother or the neighbor or the priest or the, who knows, the teacher, any, this could happen to anybody. The best thing the daughter could do is if she wanted 
ever wanted or think she might ever want or regret not having children? You know, will she be okay with this later that she decided to let an experience determine whether or not she had children, right? What can you live with later? Will I regret it later? If she maybe somewhere would have liked to have had children, barring this example, there are so many tools available now that she could use with her own children and as part of her own healing process too. It, it helps. It's awkward and difficult. But, but once you get into it, she would be preparing a whole new generation of open dialogue and supportiveness. It takes huge commitment to be supportive without judgment and dismissing kids when they say things you don't want to deal with and you don't want to hear. It's a challenge and it's a job. But it's also an opportunity that if she wanted children, barring this situation that has given her a specific perspective that I think is jaded, then she could choose it as an opportunity to educate and empower a whole new generation. Mm. And you could have a child that turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened to you in the world. Oh, yeah. And you could have a child that does something like this. Or like she said, there's always a risk. At the same time, I think it's important in support of what the daughter went through, and again, this is my approach, to fully realize and express the monster she experienced. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. That's, that is it. That is the best way to say it. And when she is able to connect with that and be allowed to say, you know what? He was an effing monster. He was this. He tortured me. He made me suffer. She has to be allowed to say it, to experience it. The mom has to be strong enough to hear this about her son and support the daughter through it because the daughter went through some suffering, a lot of suffering and probably still suffering, obviously still suffering today. Yes, clearly. Both physical and mental and emotional, all of this stuff that she's going through and it sounds like she's still processing and and it sounds like because I imagine once she is able to process this and heal from it, then... It won't be a, a, a question of, I don't want to have cursed children. It won't be a question of, I don't want to have a monster. That won't even play a part in this. Well, I think that that's not exactly true. I think it will always play a part because she would be hypervigilant. And that's okay. You know, it, it's okay to be watching everything, you know, and... Well, as far as... Wanting to have children in the first place. Right, 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 right. That's That's the goal is to make it be your choice and not your reaction out of fear and letting something be taken away from you that maybe you really did want at some level. So I would like to focus on maybe some final words on what the mom and daughter can do or at least the mom can do for the daughter. I think you probably said it in a good way earlier about just listening, letting her express, letting her be judgmental, letting her be angry, just letting her be herself and all the stuff that comes up and maybe just accept everything that comes out of her with Mm -hmm. that non-judgmental listening ear and just be there for her. Because, you know, I look at that kind of negativity that you're carrying around is something that's trapped in the body. And if you don't get it out, it's going to keep coming back in different ways and sometimes destructive ways and 
not healthy thinking. So if you're allowed to express it and get all that negativity out, hopefully the pressure release valve that you're opening every time lets more and more pressure out. You can finally get it all out. But at the same time, yes, therapy, yes, uh, support groups that you oh, can Oh, yeah, find. big big time. It's very helpful to hear what other people went through because, and, and not necessarily the nitty-gritty details, but when you see, oh, they suffer with this, and I will tell you, having children, the mother knows, or at least for a lot of us, when you're having children, the age when stuff started happening to you will trigger the adult survivor into more processing if they haven't really cleaned up all their stuff in advance. So there's just so much that they're going to walk through together. What do you mean? When your child grows to that age, then yeah. you're going to be triggered as yeah. the adult. Yeah, the mother. So, so Yeah, or the father, yeah. So the daughter has a child and the child reaches 11 and it's going to come back to her no, like, she was oh, seven. Oh, seven. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. her own age. Yeah, or if she had a son and she was worried, as he gets older and older, she would be watching. I know that's kind of a side trip, but I think everything that you're saying is absolutely valid. And that is the most important thing. You don't want to break the connection between the mother and the daughter. And so she has to, in my opinion, this is just an opinion, you have to allow the daughter to see her brother as a monster. Mm -hmm. because it, that is what happened to her. Just like what you said, that's her perspective. That's her, what happened to her. And in this case, and I always want to play devil's advocate and try and open the other person's mind a little bit, but, but don't you think that maybe the, the friend was abused, blah, blah, blah. You know, that is a very slippery slope, and I would not advocate for that approach. You know, you'll know. Not yet. No, you'll know when there's a, a, a space for that, and it probably... Right would be later after who knows more some support groups and this and that but the daughter has to come to a place where she's owning her own power and all of her feelings and her choices as her own and not as reactionary before she can even get to a point where that's even valuable information perhaps i don't know it's all a dance it's a very delicate dance but i certainly wouldn't encourage that kind of conversation at all to defend the brother no at all until the door is opened in some way by the sister that that she can tell i mean it's just she'll ruin her relationship and and, and you don't have to say um false things either you know for me i'm don't have a good poker face and so I have to say things that I can get on board with. In a situation like this, it would have to be, I'm so sorry you went through this. I'm so sorry I didn't know. Um, I'm so sorry that uh, I didn't prepare you. I've, I've learned more now. If I could do it over again, I would have this, this, or this. I would have taught you the body parts. I would have done, you know, anything like that. Anything that's, I totally understand why you feel this way. And I'm just so sorry. Other than that, you don't have to say, yes, your brother is a monster. You don't have to say that, especially if you don't believe it. You know, just stick to what you can say in integrity and authenticity. Because I'll tell you what, that victim is going to know if you're out of integrity. And they are going to feel victimized again by you if you try to say anything to defend the person that attacked them. Totally. I think the healing and the processing need to take place if and when that ever needs to be visited. If and right. when the idea of, well, he might have been a victim too. And, you know, since the mom did mention 
that she talked to her son and he's a narcissist. I mean, this right, was her words. Right. Um, you know, I look at something like that. Yes, he could be a narcissist. He could have narcissistic tendencies. Uh, at, at the same time, how did that develop? Did it develop out of some sort of abuse from the neighbor, from the neighbor's dad, you know, mom or mom, it, or mom and it could be anyone. Um, and if that's the case, how can the mom or how should the mom, and this isn't, this is more of a rhetorical question, but maybe not. How should the mom treat her son? She just say, you know what? I'm sorry if anything happened to you and I wasn't there for you when you were a child, because maybe, you know, he puts up this narcissistic wall as a defense mechanism. So he doesn't have to deal with his feelings and, you know, not connect with that deeper hurt inside of him if anything happened. Again, I'd like to keep, we don't know. I keep the focus on the daughter and her suffering. But at the same time, the mom has, t- has two kids. Mm-hmm. The mom has the other kid that actually did the act. This isn't someone else. And so, I mean, someone else did do that to the daughter and the son was there. But he was all part of it. And, you know, that's where the, the monster identification comes in. And so the mom has to deal with this. So I think it's important to at least have for the mom, have that in the back of your mind or the forefront of your mind when you're talking to your son that, you know, if he did, and and this is a very healthy, I think, compassionate viewpoint anyway, if he was abused, if he did experience anything like this, even the exposure to it could be part of the abuse, uh, just witnessing it, being a part of that, being out of control. And that is actually, that is child sexual abuse is forced warriorism. Hmm. It's all part of the big ball of wax. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then if she is aware of this, that it's a possibility in her son, then maybe it helps her view her son in a different way. It may not be true. Right. But at the same time, it is, I believe, a healthier, more compassionate perspective to consider that if it was true, then how would I talk to my son then? And how would it come out? Not that you would bring it up. Right. But you might have a different experience with him. Because your connection would be different because you wouldn't have this framing around what you think has happened or has happened. Maybe you wouldn't see him as the monster. So, again, that's not really for the daughter, but for the mom. Well, here's the other opportunity, right? So, yes, the mother has two children. And often the victimized child gets very upset that the mother takes sides and and doesn't support them. So the best thing that the mother could have done, and it sounds like she absolutely did it, is said, I believe you. Mm -hmm. You have to believe those kinds of stories when they come out. You can see the tragedy that's going on here. You know it happened. With the son, the only other opportunity that you can have is if the son ever has children or whatnot. This is my thing. I mean, I am an advocate. It's like figure out how to be able to communicate with, I guess, the family and help make sure that the son's children are educated and that the family, the mother and the son's wife or whatever, whoever has the children, I guess it could be a gay couple, I don't know, but that they have the information on hand about child sexual abuse and how to protect their children from it. And that's going to be a difficult time. But most of what we've talked about today is we don't really know anything about anything except what the daughter has shared. She's the only one who shared anything. So, I mean, it's a difficult topic. I don't know that there are exact right answers. But I think that believing a victim who finally comes forward, letting them know that you support them in whatever way you can, 
and being compassionate and, you know, just helping them to see the opportunity and to own their own feelings and choices and act instead of react. I think that's the most important part of all of this is that no matter what you want to do to help, sometimes the best thing you can do is to let the person who's been victimized, the survivor, say anything they want about that time and let them say it, let them feel it, let them express it because they need that safe outlet that they may not have felt they've had in the past or they brought in the idea that if they said anything to anyone, they'd be in trouble or mommy or daddy would get hurt or, you know, that whatever threats were given to a child that they carried into their adult world and made it their new belief so they didn't say anything. Well, when they find someone they can trust and and speak about it, about anything to them, then open your heart, let them speak and let them say anything they want. Even if they say, mom, I hate you that you weren't there. That can come out and it can hurt. But if it needs to be said, boy, let them do it because that's the closest you're going to get to starting the healing process between two people. I agree. I agree. And also the, um, you can't go into these situations with an agenda. You know, the only thing you can do is, I guess the only agenda would be to be honest, be vulnerable, be truthful and support your child, support the victim, you know, in whatever way is in integrity and authenticity, because as soon as you start trying to push an agenda on her to make her realize that ah, la, 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 she can feel that and you're breaking the trust, right. you know, so no agendas, just authenticity and support. And also in the same vein, knowing that she may never forgive her brother and that has to be okay. And that's not the end for her. Some people never forgive and that's okay as long as they take back their power and it's not crippling their lives. You know, if it's affecting them negatively, someday they may choose. Forgiveness is a big, complicated, difficult subject and it's not what everybody makes it out to be most of the time. So, you know, asking them to have compassion or asking them to forgive, anything like that, you are undermining the whole thing. As the mother knows, a victim can only address themselves in their right and perfect time. You can't do it before you're ready. You can't force it. It just, for me, it feels like a point when you become willing to accept that it really happened at a feeling level, not just a conscious level, and allow the feelings, you know, nurture that inner child, let her or him grieve even if it's ridiculous looking wail it out whatever you have to do cry scream throw, you know whatever but a survivor can only process this in their own time if you look at domestic violence programs they will tell anybody who wants to help a friend never ever ever tell that person they need to leave you don't you say what do you mean they say you don't tell a, a domestic abuse person oh, to leave their abusive partner. Got it. Yeah. You say, you know when the time is right. You know what you have to do and you're the only one who knows your situation best. Right. And I think that that information is very well carried into a situation with child sexual abuse and child sexual abuse survivors. 
you know what you need to do to heal. You know what you need to do to own your power. You know what's right for you. And here's the thing about this. As soon as you tell somebody that, you are empowering them to look deeper and make the best possible choice they can. You are showing them that you have faith in them and that you know that somewhere inside they know. And even if they are poo-pooing that or however they react, it's not relevant. It's still in there. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that not trying to control them or, or persuade them or, or have any agenda or manipulate them in any way or inform them or educate them, any of those things, you're not pushing something on them. You're just allowing them to know their own truth and own their own healing and their own timeline, whether they want to be victims or not be victims or be empowered or not be empowered. And when you do that, I think it gives people the space that they need and their own personal accountability to own their process, their feelings, and their well-being. Because when you're at the deficit and you're not healing is because you believe that your process, your feelings, and your well-being is in the hands of somebody else or a result of somebody else's action or inaction, which is never, ever, ever, ever the real truth. Now that's all the components of self-empowerment. Yeah. And it's all powerful components of healing is when you are able to take all of that in and own it and make it real, make it process it and start your healing. And I'm just going to say this final words. I'm going to ask you, a couple of things, but um, the final words on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, I have an episode on forgiveness, or a few episodes, um, and my take, and it's probably your take too, on forgiveness is it's A, never about forgiving the other person, my point, my take on it. B, there's almost always something that you feel you did wrong back then when something happened. Somebody could have wronged you and you know 100% they wronged you. But there's almost always something deep inside you that you feel you could have done better. And I think that's where forgiveness has to take a step in and has to happen. That's self-forgiveness. That is when you go, you know what? I forgive myself for the way I showed up that day, for the decisions I made that day. And I'm not trying to put, I mean, you know this, I'm not trying to put the blame on the victim, but I'm making sure that we cover all of our bases here because when I think about all the things that I've done in my life or have been done to me and I just want to be angry at that person, if I approach it in a self-forgiveness way, I can look at the decisions that I made and probably sometimes find things that I could have done better. And we always say that to ourselves. We always say, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have gone to that situation. That's all things that we need to forgive ourselves for so that we can move on from that. Because when we're holding on to that, especially when we're told, you need to forgive that person. Right. And you're not forgiving person. a person anyway. Right. It's never the person. Uh, like, well, that's what you're, we're told. Or you're, you're not forgiving an action. A bad, you don't forgive a bad action, you know. But that's all exterior. That is all exterior. Right. And it's never for them because it's not about them. You know, I mean, I guess it could affect them in a way positively in some level, but it is for you. And I agree with what you're saying in that most of the time when you do forgiveness work, like one of the things I always say is if you ever have resentment, I've never ever seen a, any case anywhere of somebody being resentful where they weren't 
angry at themselves at mm. some level, whether they're aware of it or not, because they didn't stand up for themselves or speak up for themselves or do something on their own behalf. Right. Every time I see resentment, and I think this plays into forgiveness as well, because my forgiveness exercises are like yours. When it boils down to it, I think the easiest way to phrase it is, is there anything I wish I would have done differently yeah. that day? Yeah. You know, it's not even about, well, I need to forgive myself because I did this, because that has an air of fault and blame. You know, and when you're the victim, you are being victimized. It's not your fault. You are not to blame. But that doesn't mean that there's not some sneaky little tucked away underlying sentiment of, if I would have just ran away, or if I would have just told mom. Self-blame. I don't like that word. But that's what it seems like. It, well, see, but here's the thing. Technically, it's self-blame. But you're not thinking of it that way when you're right. feeling it. You're feeling that person, that person, that person, and you're so angry. And that's why I find it, like you said, helpful to ask it in a gentle, non-finger-pointing way that says, is there anything that I wish I would have done differently that day? Or is there anything I wish I would have known then that I know now? Right. Because when you can say it in those gentle supportive terms for the child at the age the child was you can then turn it around and have compassion for that child who was seven who was victimized i'm myself as the adult and i look back at my young self and now when i say is there anything i wish i would have done differently or i wish i would have known then that mm. i know now and then i can say well yeah i wish i would have told my mom mm. which almost makes me cry just saying it I wish I would have told my mom. And then you can imagine that child in your own mind's eye and feel compassion for her because she didn't think she could tell. She didn't know she had the option. And when you are looking at it from the adult and seeing that little person in your mind's eye and saying, I wish I, she, the little one, would have known that I could tell mom, I could tell my mom. That triggers healing and emotions. It does trigger emotions, but that is the healing process. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to close this up. And thanks for your time. And I want to send people to your tools and resources page. Yes, yes. So um, for survivors and um, family members of survivors, parents of survivors, I have a site called Help for F-O-R, spelled out, helpforsurvivors.org. There is a ton of information on there. There's articles, there's empowerment playlists and legal help information and um, support groups that are recommended for family members, parents. If you are a parent, go to a parent's support group. Talk to those people. We all don't have to be trailblazers out there whacking our own course through the boondocks here. You can tell I grew up in, in the woods. But um, don't go it alone. It's faster and easier and a better process when you're with other people facing similar challenges and, and you have some resources of people who are maybe a step ahead of you. So all those things are on helpforsurvivors.org. And then um, to if you are having grandbabies or children or other people you know who are having kids, on the fionaproject.org site, 
that is where I have the prevention information. It's actually a music and arts movement, but there is very clear information and pages on what to teach your kids, what the signs and symptoms, what to look out for, things that we are not taught that we need to know. That's a whole nother conversation, but I do want to end it with, I keep saying I'm going to end this, but <laughs> sorry, you that's just me. keep, <laughs> you bring up these topics because it, it reminds me when we were living in the apartment mm -hmm. many years ago, well, it wasn't actually that long ago. Um, I remember, I think this is so important. I remember you said every time that mom, I mean, we could hear a, a baby crying every morning, every time oh, that, yeah. every time that mom brings out her baby to go to take it to daycare or wherever she was taking it, it would cry like a banshee. It would just, what? We just cry and cry and cry. Mm. And you made the comment, I wonder what's happening at the daycare where that baby doesn't want to go. And I mean, I don't know if we talked about abuse or sexual abuse, but well, that's what I was thinking of for sure. Cause I'm in the middle of my project. Well, that's when you were working on it, but that, that really hit home. I mean, I think that's why it's important to, like you said, look up the symptoms. I mean, the things that we think might be the symptoms, well, some of them are, but some of them, we don't realize that they're symptoms. Like you having uh, an aversion to your uncle growing up and you never knew why your mom would say your uncle's wonderful. You know, there's nothing wrong with him, but you always had an aversion to him. And then later on discovering that you actually, I mean, this was had your experience. Yeah. She, and she still maintains that that couldn't possibly have happened. That's a whole nother story. It though. is. That, but that's a... I, I wanted to mention it because there are people that are listening right now that have kids that, you know, the kid comes in the room and says, I don't like uncle, whatever. Right. And they're like that all the time. And you're like, right. oh, just get over it. Right. We, we tend, not everyone, but some people tend to dismiss these things as perfectly normal things that kids say. And it's just, you know, whatever. But boy, if we keep an open ear and keep an open eye and, and just learn what to look for, what to listen for, really keep that open ear for the kids. And, um, I think it can go a long way and it might actually prevent anything that might be a little shady or unscrupulous or something even worse. Hopefully it's never worse, but um, yeah, this could go on. And you have any final words before we... Well, just to wrap up what you were saying, yeah. I, I think it is good on the FionaProject.org, there is a page that says four rules for kids. And then there's a page that says learn the signs and symptoms. And it's quick stuff. It's not a half hour read. I mean, it's really fast. And then there is seven steps to prevention. And that will give you an overview of the things to keep in mind and, and how to respond and, you know, to ask open-ended questions and stuff like that. I think the best thing that we can do, in summary, though, I think this lady is doing so much right. Yeah, I agree. Because the best thing we can do is to heal ourselves, number one, because we can't help anybody else if we haven't helped ourselves, and to get educated and open dialogue and be supportive. I mean, that's, that's it. I believe yeah. you. I mean, she, she's on track. Yeah. I want to thank you, Asha, for joining thank me. Thank you. Giving us your knowledge and your wisdom. And I want to thank the woman who wrote and I wish you much strength mm -hmm. and I, my heart, our hearts go out to you and uh, you're going to make it through this because it, it sounds like 
you have a very good start. It sounds like your daughter has a very strong constitution and she's going to make it through this. And I'm not going to repeat everything we already said, you know, just be there for her and listen. But um, thank you again for writing and thank you for joining. And I hope you got some value from this. Share this with others that might benefit. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 